At AGI, we take grain bin safety seriously. With Bin Manager, from the convenience of your smartphone, you can know the condition of stored grain without having to climb a ladder or stairs to monitor temperature and moisture. AGI Bin Manager is fully automated, meaning you can trust that grain is safe and in condition without returning to the bin to turn on or off fans and heaters. With advanced algorithms to optimize fan and heater controls, you can be confident that your hard-earned harvest will be in condition when it is time to sell. Find AGI Bin Manager at aggrowth.com digital. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Mackenzie Kozlowski. Mackenzie is most well-known for her yoga teaching. Before having her two kids, she traveled the world teaching yoga workshops and training. In 2015, she traveled to Alberta to teach a yoga workshop, but what she didn't know was that that weekend she would meet her future husband, Mike, of Steel Pony Farm. Within six months of meeting, they were married and she was living in rural Alberta. The past five years have been an incredible exploration into farming, motherhood, and all things growing, cooking, and preserving food. I am so excited for you to get to meet Mackenzie and hear her unique story into agriculture. I have had the privilege of meeting Mackenzie's husband, Mike, at a number of conferences that I have been to over the years, and they are just such a great family doing some amazing work here in rural Alberta feeding their community. Before we get to Mackenzie's interview, let's go over this week's listener review. This week's five-star rating and review is titled Always Educational and Inspirational. One of my must-listens to every week. Every time I listen, I find myself smiling, nodding along, and yes, even crying sometimes along with Caitlin and her guests. I find myself learning something new every week and being refreshed to go and finish my own work, doing chores, animals, or just growing my business. Thanks for inspiring and lifting up other women in the field. Well, thank you so much, LJ Beauville via Apple Podcasts here in Canada. I appreciate your kind words and happy to hear that uh, I'm able to make you cry. Um, (laughs) That always feels weird to say, but you know, when it hits you right in the feels, you know, it's a good episode. So thank you so much for leaving that rating and review over on Apple. And my friends, if you would be so kind If you are on an Apple product to leave a rating and review, it's super simple and easy to do. And this helps the Rural Woman podcast get into more ears just like yours and expand and share the incredible stories of women in agriculture. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Mackenzie. Mackenzie, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am very excited to dive into your story and how you became a rural woman. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Mackenzie, 
Give us your background. Tell us who you are and how you got your start in agriculture. Yes, I, I found agriculture and Alberta in a very unique way. I am originally from the United States. I grew up in Seattle and then lived about half of my adult life in Los Angeles and was living kind of between those two quite frequently. And while I was in Los Angeles, I went to university and kind of got my first adult job, which led me to finding yoga. And once I found yoga, I was basically obsessed and was going to do anything and everything I could do to make yoga my life. And I was really fortunate at the time to have had some of the most well-known teachers in the world be my teachers. And that sprung me forward into my own teaching career. And one of my teachers published a book with women's health, The Big Book of Yoga. And I was one of the models for that book. And started gaining a lot of recognition that way in in the yoga community, as well as through Instagram. I was kind of sharing my practice. This was like in the original days of Instagram. The book was shot in 2012 and I was using it back then. So it's crazy. It's literally been a decade that I have been on Instagram and using it. And from there, this is, it's like hard for people who haven't been on Instagram for a really long time. But when the app was first around, you, everyone would see the same explore page. It didn't matter your interests, like what was there, everyone saw. And when Instagram implemented the video feature, you could do 15 second videos. And that was it. And I used those 15 second videos to show off my most what I thought were impressive yoga skills at the time. And I've, I've been pretty fortunate my whole life to be quite flexible. So they are, they were quite captivating <laughs> for the eyes. So Instagram started putting me on the explore page anytime I posted a video and I started gaining a thousand followers a day plus for an extended period of time. And that kind of blew up my career in a completely different way. So I started traveling the world and teaching yoga workshops. One of those workshops led me to Red Deer, Alberta. And I came to Alberta for the first time. I had uh, I had been to BC before. That was about the only place in Canada I had visited. And while in Red Deer, I was teaching one of my classic backbending workshops. And there's one male in the class. And uh, it's a bit of a spoiler alert, but it's my now husband, Mike, who has been running Steel Pony Farm in Red Deer County for the past 12, this is our 12th season. And after the the workshop, the owner uh, was having us over to her house, uh, the owner of the yoga studio was having us over to her house and invited Mike. And Basically, the rest was history. We hit it off that night. Both of us are probably the worst flirters that have graced the world. <laughs> and I kind of was like, well, that was, he was, seemed really great. And I, the next day, flew to New York. And as a lot of modern love stories uh, start these days, he slid into my DM. Not in the like, hey, I'm interested in you way but like we were talking about this book this is the title and we just started talking we were, i think it's very romantic but we started handwriting letters back and forth but not mailing them we'd take a picture and then send them back and forth and we met in november of 2015 and were married by april of 2016 so it was a quick when you know you know <laughs> and that was, yeah, like you said, 2016. So six years ago, coming on six years ago. And that's how I got into agriculture in Alberta is through Mike. And I have, I've loved it. Uh, I think 
a lot of people, particularly when I first made the move, were quite shocked because moving from Los Angeles to Red Deer is a pretty extreme move. <laughs> That's to say it in the least <laughs> way possible. Red Deer, Alberta, yeah. I can confirm is nothing like Los Angeles and I've been to both places. So. <laughs> Mike did try to convince me that Red Deer was the Portland of the prairies when we first met. I would have to disagree, but <laughs> it, it sounded good. I will say for the folks who've never been to Red Deer, Alberta, it's uh, one of my favorite places only because my favorite aunt lives there. And I used to spend a lot of summers there and I think it's very pretty, but I would say like the infrastructure, the lifestyle, things like that. Not quite Los Angeles. So, no. <laughs> so take us back to that time. You know, you're a newlywed, you have moved countries, you have basically uprooted your entire life to live and be married to and be on a vegetable farm. So, what was that transition like for you? It was needed. I, at the time, when Mike and I met, the longest I had been in any city, including when I lived in for, I think it was like two to three years, was 12 days. So I was on the go constantly, flying from place to place to place, teaching. And it was I, a very glamorous, fun lifestyle, but not the one that's sustainable for me. And Every time I flew back to Los Angeles, I felt a sense of dread and I just wanted to like hole up in my room and sleep. I didn't find it inspiring at all. And when I moved to Alberta, I just found it to be so beautiful from the mountains to the prairies. And growing up in Seattle, I've seen a lot of gray skies and no matter the extreme temperatures, <laughs> the sky is almost always blue and it's so beautiful. And I just was craving a sense of grounding and quite literally got that in the, the biggest sense possible being married to a farmer. So it, I started, we at the time were living in the city, so we weren't living on the farm. When I first moved here, we were living in Red Deer City. And we had a greenhouse in our backyard. So I started seeds there as and we also started all the steel pony seeds there and then would plant those seeds in our backyard and just started. I had never planted any seeds, uh, never grown any crops before then and just really became connected to my food. It was a completely different connection than I had thought. I was experiencing in the fullest when I lived in LA. It, since it is very trendy there to shop at the farmers markets and be vegan and all the all the kind of trending food words are, are almost originate there. And although I was doing kind of all the things <laughs> shopping at the farmers market and eating organic and exploring being vegan i have never felt more connected to my food than i do now and also feeling connected to what's sustainable long term globally i think you know i don't know being in the yoga world there's a lot of rhetoric about being vegan and I think whatever is the right food cho choice for you is fantastic. But living somewhere like Alberta, where without a greenhouse, plants can't grow a lot of the months of the year, it's hard to say that maybe that's the right choice for the world. And that I think there's just so much nuance in the food system and in our individual choices, depending on where we live. And that changes drastically even within Alberta. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's so interesting. And I love to always ask people, especially if they're, you know, coming from a city to a rural setting of is 
what were some of your first memories around food? You said you started planting seeds in red deer and that was the first time for you. And you, you had mentioned about, you know, in LA, it's very trendy to be a foodie or to go to the farmer's market or, you know, eat at these vegan restaurants and all of the stuff. But I think depending on where you live and how you grew up, you view food differently. I know for me, I, I grew up in Alberta. Food was right in my backyard. And in a sense, I had no idea where my food came from. It came from the grocery store or it came from the farmer's market, but I didn't know how it was grown, but it looked cute in a basket, right? (laughs) So growing up in these urban centers, what was your experience like with food growing up? Like, where did it come from in your mind? The grocery store. (laughs) That's where it came from. I hadn't even really thought about it further than that when I was young. I feel fortunate. I was raised by a single mom and she always fed me whole foods. My snacks were sliced apples and cheese and sliced tomatoes. And so I've always had a love for fresh food. And that's continued throughout my life. When I got a little bit older and had to start doing the shopping for myself, I did like to try to go to the farmer's market. I was fortunate living in Santa Monica. There's lots of fantastic farmer's market that do showcase small farms, which I think is one of the best things you can do is support a small farm in your area. But I didn't really think about how they grew that food or the practices they were using. And coming here it's like it's so i thought here i am pretty connected to the food system i i eat all the all the vegetables and try all the foods and yet i had never thought that green onions were just the start of a, a bigger onion <laughs> like it's like why didn't i it's like almost embarrassing to admit but when if you haven't grown an onion you might not realize that or I've just learned so many things like that about all the different vegetables that Mike and my, our, my farm, Steel Pony Farm, is a vegetable farm. So that's, that's our specialty or that's what I know the most about. Although my brother-in-law is a herdsman and the property that we farm on also is a cattle ranch and we have chickens and raise lambs for meat. So I now have experience in a little bit of a lot of things, but <laughs> I know the vegetable process the most. Yeah. You don't need to be embarrassed by telling me anything that you thought about vegetables because <laughs> I was right there beside you and I probably still have no idea how some things are done. But it's, you know, it's always funny to me because people who grew up in a rural lifestyle, who grew up growing food and all of these things, they have such a different view of where their food came from because a lot of them were growing their own food or had a hand in the production of food for other people. And, you know, when you don't know something, you don't know. So I always, I always embrace the embarrassing questions now more than ever, because I think it's so important, especially for people listening who have lived rurally their whole life. People who live in a city don't know what you know. And the way that we explain and the way that we share is so important to make sure that they don't feel embarrassed to ask these questions because when we when they feel embarrassed or there's defensiveness in sharing the stories of agriculture that's when i think you know feelings get hurt and people you know can start riding around things or like being so misunderstood on both ends that that's when you know our stories don't get moved forward. And I'm always curious, you know, for people who are coming from the urban to rural, what were some of the biggest misconceptions that you had coming into agriculture around your food? You had mentioned dabbling in being a vegan and people often choose that lifestyle based on ethics or their decisions. But knowing what you know now, what were some of the biggest misconceptions that you believed about agriculture and specifically around the production of meat in agriculture? I think that the 
biggest <laughs> takeaway I have had is that when now when I go to a grocery store and I look at the stickers or on the little placeholder that says what it, it is and it says where it's from, it's really enlightening how much of the food in the grocery stores is not coming from anywhere near where you live. Even if you live, like even living in California, a lot of the food still comes from Mexico. And although Mexico is not far away, why? Why Why is our food coming from, well, I would say miles and miles away, kilometers and kilometers away, <laughs> when a lot could be grown nearby? Like, I don't know. I think it's interesting being a mom. My kids love fruit and I have this moral dilemma of like, do I buy them bananas? And it's just so it's silly in the grand scheme of things, but it's like, you know, we have apples still, the there's a stored crop from BC, but I would rather buy them apples that were grown in BC than buy bananas from Mexico. And and I hope that maybe other people start shopping the same way. And it's this year for the first time, well, I guess that's not classically true, but for the most part, for the first time ever, we are in our CSA box. We run a subscription-based food program. And when we've had the boxes in the past, it's only been our vegetables. Well, this year for the first time, we are offering products from other providers and producers in Alberta and Canada. And we, about 97% of our products are from Alberta. And then the rest would be just from, I think there's a few out East products that we can't grow here on the West. And it's been really enlightening how much and what can be grown in Alberta from turmeric and ginger down South to grains all over the place. Obviously, there's lots of grains grown here, but just fantastic dairy providers, people doing these incredibly interesting. There's Worthy Jams in Calgary, who's making these jams and just most delicious salsas. And there's just so many innovative and creative, and she's also, it's a woman-based company, innovative people doing incredible things in Alberta. And both Mike and I are incredibly passionate that there's just room for everyone to succeed. And by supporting one another and uplifting all these other small to medium farms, that we all win. And if we can create this trend of it being less I don't know, trendy to support local. We started a campaign, I'm kind of digressing, but we started a little campaign and it's on our hats and we've got stickers and magnets. But in Alberta, as you know, because you grew up in Alberta, um, beef has always been the big thing. It's like, I love Alberta beef. And it's like, why can't it be I love Alberta carrots? I love Alberta kohlrabi. I love Alberta, you know, like there's just so, so much produced in Alberta that goes beyond beef. And it's like, I think Alberta beef is fantastic, but there's just so much here. It, it, I, I would assume before coming to Alberta that we'd be quite limited, that there we couldn't grow black beans and all the all the red beans and there's just so many producers doing what i thought wasn't possible here and it's just so fantastic and like you said making it a trend to not be a trend to buy local is super important and especially you know when you live in a place that can have so many diverse crops that can give you so many incredible things and i liked what you said about when you're living in california you know why Why am I eating something from Mexico when it's grown here? It's because it was being shipped up here to Alberta. So thank you for 
Yeah. <laughs> shipping all of those wonderful things from California to us. But it, it's just, it's really fascinating to know more and more about the food system and the food industry and why things happen the way they do. And, you know, in 2020, we figured out that maybe it wasn't working the best way when our grocery store shelves were empty and we thought, well, where, where the heck is all of this food? Well, there are systems in place to get that food to where it needs to go. And if it doesn't work, then we don't have food. So <laughs> talk to us more about Steel Pony Farm, how you came about your CSA and all about what you're producing on the farm. Yeah. So kind of, I mean, it's not really my story to tell, but like we've been talking about, Mike got into farming when he went on a trip to Kenya and he was in a small town in Kenya and they had asked him, where does your food come from? And he was like, the grocery store. And they're like, well, what is a grocery store? <laughs> and he is like, it's where you go and buy food. And he's like, they were like, oh, okay. Tell us about your grocery store's farm. And he is like, my grocery store doesn't have a farm. It has lots of farms. And they just like couldn't wrap their head around this idea. And then it made him realize like, I don't actually know where my food comes from, how it's grown, anything. And so he came back to Canada and started touring around local farms, learning about agriculture. And so he started a CSA program and Steel Pony Farm comes from the idea that when he first started the CSA program, he would pack all the veggies up in a bike trailer and ride his bike with his vegetables from the farm into the city for people to come pick up their vegetables. And that no longer happens. We have a lot, a lot more going on. And we serve in about 450 families a year. And we grow a wide variety of products, carrots, beets, onions, celery, celeriac, kale, spinach, mixed greens, rosemary, oregano, thyme, mint, sage. Like, but, uh, we don't grow potatoes anymore. There's some, some crops. One of our new theory is that if there's a farm in the area that specializes in something like potatoes, we've got John Mills, Eagle Creek Farm in Bowdoin. Uh, we get our potatoes from him now just as a way to free up rows in our garden. We farm on, we rent eight acres, but farm on about four and do cover crops on the remaining. One of our biggest crops would be garlic. And then we do, we planted this year, I think 18,000 heads of garlic. And then what else we do? All the squashes, summer squash, winter squashes. Yeah. Lots of kale, a lot of kale. <laughs> Those all sound so dreamy. And especially speaking to you, I call this fake spring. It's not real spring quite yet here in Alberta, <laughs> but yeah. That is a lot of variety. And I love the idea of if there's somebody local to you that specializes in something, use that specialty instead of, you know, doing something that either doesn't work for your land or for time or production or whatever it is. So since you came to the farm back in 2015, 2016, you've also become a farm mama. So tell us about the kiddos on Steel Pony Farm. Yes, we've got two fantastic kids. Adler is the oldest. He is, oh, he'll be, he's four and a half, he would tell you. And then Ariella is our youngest and she just turned two. And they are fantastic. <laughs> what has it been like for you to see your kids growing up essentially in the dirt and being able to be on the farm and being outside and seeing where food comes from. I love it. I think that every child should get the chance <laughs> to have this lifestyle. Two years ago, we moved out onto the farm. So now we live on the farm that we farm on and watching the kids be able to run outside first thing in the morning. Like even now, like you said, it's like this fake spring, but my two-year-old daughter is constantly telling me 
it's nice out. I go outside now. And I'm like, no, it's really windy and it's not that nice out. It's deceiving. It looks really nice and sunny, but it's still really cold. But they, it's like the second they can get outside, they're outside. I feel comfortable letting them just be outside playing, getting dirty. Like yesterday, I was seating in the greenhouse and some of the farmers were working outside, insulating a trailer. And the kids were both on the tractor with their headphones on, the, the keys were out, the bucket was down, it was safe. But they're just, oh, the joy they get from playing on the tractor. It's like their wildest dreams come true. It's like if your favorite thing all of a sudden became more than life-size and you got to just play on it all day, that's what they get to do. And it just brings me so much joy to see them outside, to know that it's safe for them to be playing in the dirt. We use mostly regenerative practices here. And so, I mean, the city of Red Deer is pretty good. They don't spray the parks or the fields, any glyphosate products. (laughs) You can tell because there's lots of dandelions, which when we lived in the city, we got complaints about all the time from our neighbors (laughs) that our lawn was full of dandelions, but it just makes me feel so good. And also seeing our friends, kids come out and just run free to go in our chicken pen and pick up chickens and find the eggs. It's just so, it's such a a fun lifestyle for kids and grown kids like myself. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I consider myself to be a grown kid too, when it comes to this stuff, because (laughs) this is not what I got to do growing up. You know, we got to play in our backyard or we went to a park to play or a friend's house to play, but to have wide open space to kind of go raise hell around the farm. Like it's really neat. And it's, you know, it's a fun thing to see. Growers have a lot to consider when it comes to storing grain. Are you getting the most out of your on-farm grain storage? Could an aeration model help to better determine fan, heater, or dryer needs? And what is the ROI if you installed a bin manager system to remote monitor and control in-bin grain conditioning? At AGI, we want you to ask the tough questions about how Bin Manager allows growers like you to know exactly what is happening inside your bins without climbing a ladder or stairs, or how you can benefit from remotely monitoring your grain temperature and moisture from a smartphone, or how fully automated fans and heaters can provide peace of mind all season long. Contact an AGI representative today for a free on-farm smart storage assessment. Find AGI Bin Manager at aggrowth.com digital. That's aggrowth.com digital. Talk to us about your role on the farm and how that has progressed over the years and how you incorporate your yoga practice into your daily life on your farm. Yeah, I've been, I'm, I'm, uh, this morning uh, on the farm, we do a a check-in every morning and just kind of go around and there's a theme and we will each, everyone shares how they're feeling about that theme. And so today we talked about our strengths as a person and my self-proclaimed strength was I'm a get shit doneer. I like to get stuff done. I, and so I wear many hats and um, my roles are constantly shifting and evolving all the time. Having been an, an entrepreneur and run my own business for the past uh, almost 15 years, I've been self-employed. I'm always trying to evolve. And so as I became a mother, I stepped back from doing a lot of my yoga teaching and focused on being a mom. I think it's a really special opportunity when they're young and they're ho- they can be home and particularly in Canada where, well, I didn't get a paid maternity leave because I'm self-employed, but a lot of people do. That opportunity is not widely available for most women in the U.S. So it's something I, uh, we were fortunate enough and made the conscious decision that I would kind of stay home 
with the kids. And it's been a really magical and time full of struggles. <laughs> it's like, oh, to have an adult conversation without kids screaming, it's just so um, pleasant. <laughs> but as, like I said, my son's four. So now over the past few years, as they get more independent, both kids can, they go to a wonderful Waldorf school in town. They go three days a week now. And that gives me the opportunity to run my yoga business, which I have online classes uh, that come out each week for my subscribers on that. And then the other two days I use to work at Steel Pony. And so I am in charge of all of our, most of our marketing and social media and community building. And that would be my main role on the farm. Yeah. Well, and to have that experience from running your own business, regardless of what industry it is, it's such an asset for specifically a farm to have that marketing. And especially if you are, you know, advertising and your market is local to you, the marketing aspect is so important. And what have been some of the biggest wins that you've had or some of the greatest relationships that you've been able to build with your local community that you can share with the audience who, you know, a lot of them are looking to build those stronger connections locally? What have been some of the biggest wins that you've had? I think the biggest takeaway I've gotten, and this has come from you know, watching Mike for a few years before stepping in as this role officially is that he, relationships have always come first for Mike and for Steel Pony Farm, that there's just such a beautiful thing that happens when people have a personal connection with their farmer. So being there at, you know, we've got drops, for when people come and pick up their bags if they don't get them home delivered and having steel pony employees be there for the customers to talk to to build that personal connection with outside of social media where they'll see those employees and the farmers show up is really powerful because i mean a good facebook campaign ad campaign is is good but word of mouth from someone you know is always better. And so for us, trying to really listen to our customers when we get feedback, both good and criticism as well, and use those as opportunities for uh, us to grow and look deeper into our processes because it only allows us to become a better and more effective business in the long run, which everyone wins when that happens. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you know, the feedback that you get, whether you know it's positive or negative, I always feel it's going to be a positive eventually, because if there's something that's not working for your customers and they don't like it and you don't have to do it anymore, or you need to change your practice to make it better, I think it's a win-win overall. Completely. We've had we, with COVID, pivoted. People used to pack their own bags. They'd go through, look at their list, and grab what they had in their box. But with COVID, we started packing our own bags on site. And then last year, we changed and are continuing to implement it this year. But we pack everyone's bags. So like right now, while I'm here talking with you, they're packing bags. Thursdays are our day. And we were making a lot of errors, packing errors. One person would pack the bag and off it would go. And then we'd get emails or at the end of the day, we wouldn't have enough products that we should have had the right amount. And it's like, well, what, where's that going? Why is this happening? And, and we had this poor woman. Oh, I just felt so bad. She got like three errors, three weeks in a row. And it's like kind of embarrassing to admit, like, and that third error, I was just like, we can, this is not, acceptable. Like for me, I take customer service really seriously. And it's like, oh man, if a business, 
made three errors on my orders, I don't know if I would be as forgiving as this woman was being with us. And so we completely renovated our, our packing system to have checks and balances to make sure that the right things are going in the right boxes and that there is also a personal accountability for who's packing each bag, who's making the errors. And it's not that like, and our employees know this, you're not going to get fired if you mispack a bag because we're all human. We all make mistakes of small and grand size. And it's, it's just going to happen. But when you know there is that accountability there, you're more likely to pay attention and you're more likely to not make those errors. And I am shocked at how many less errors we're making and how many less emails I have to send out of like, I'm sorry you had many cucumbers in your bag, but we ran out. And so you got a large cucumber instead and people are getting what they want. And that's like, it's just a complete when when our customers get what they wanted and what they ordered and we're not making mistakes it's just everybody wins there and so it's just been a really fun like it's fun for me <laughs> normally when i'm problem solving it's like negotiating with terrorists with two young kids and trying to figure out efficient systems with adults is quite pleasant because uh, you see I change almost immediately. It's not the long game of children <laughs> teaching kids. Exactly. But I like what you said about, you know, being human and humans do make errors and there's things that happen. And I think if you have that relationship built with your customers, they know that and they're more willing to be forgiving. And it's interesting. I, I saw it somewhere online and it's talking about, you know, people who can be forgiving or non-forgiving to small local businesses, you know, I think it's pretty easy to get upset about if things get screwed up and, you know, if things get screwed up three times, but think about going through a drive-through at a Starbucks and you're spending $6 on a coffee and they screw it up. You don't swear off Starbucks for the rest of your life. But, you know, if there's a small business that's screwed up on something, then you're like, I'm never shopping from there again. And some people don't. Like, we have to remember there's humans behind all of these things and, you know, support the people who are willing to make it right and who want to make it right. And, you know, knowing that there is a human that is packing your groceries and they screwed up, they screwed up. And, you know, do you still love the product that you got? Most likely. And going back to know that there's people who own this company and who own this business who are taking the time and effort with their staff. You know, you had mentioned you guys have daily meetings about talking things through. I don't think that happens on a lot of farms, Mackenzie. So the care and the love that you have <laughs> for your staff, to me, makes me want to shop at your farm. Yeah. Our employees are our family. And one of when I first joined the farm six years ago, one of Mike's biggest complaints about running a business in agriculture is that he has seasonal employees. And that means each year he has to spend a lot of time and that equals a lot of money training employees. I think it made him really think about how can I retain employees better? We've been fortunate, like we've got, it's ironic, but we have a ski hill here in Red Deer and one of our longest standing employees works there in the winter and here in, in the summer. And so that's worked out really well for us. But there right now of the people working on the farm today, all are repeat employees. And so we have tried really hard as business owners to make it not like I'm the boss, you're the employee, uh, create open lines of communication and ways to give feedback without it feeling personal. And so this whole error thing came about because it's like, okay, if you quantify in money, <laughs> how how much these errors are costing. If this was your business, how would it make you feel? Like, how would, would you pack the same way? 
And we want to empower our employees to feel like this is their business. And, you know, we talk about it quite a bit. It's like, how can we shift our business model so that they do have a stake in the game? Because, I mean, frankly, without them, like we couldn't do what we do. We couldn't serve the amount of people we serve. And our employees are our greatest asset. And we love them like family. And they are like to my children, they're like aunts and uncles and they get just as excited about seeing, as they call them, the workers, as they do their own family and friends. And so we have something really special and beautiful going on here at Steel Pony Farm. And Mike leads workshops on how to have this type of relationship with your employees and this kind of environment and culture at your farm because the top-down model just doesn't work. It doesn't work for happiness for anyone. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone really likes to be the the mean boss. Maybe some people do, but and <laughs> and no one likes to be told they're doing something wrong. Like, I don't think it feels good. And I have noticed this year the accountability. Like, an error got made last week, and in our morning meeting, someone stepped up and said, "Oh, that was me." I'm sorry. And that it's like, you you can show up on our farm however you're showing up on that day, whether that be good, whether that be less than stellar, and we see you as you are, and we appreciate accountability more than perfection. And that goes with our vegetables too. <laughs> they don't have to be beautiful, but they, they're sure tasty. Right? <laughs> Even the ugliest of tomatoes still tastes better than the grainy tomato that you're going to get from Mexico or wherever it was, however far it traveled. But I just love that. And I love that, you know, you had said like they're family to you and, you know, they're, they're there on your farm working for you and working to feed people, which is an incredible feeling all on its own. But, you know, for people who have to go to their job every day, who are there for eight hours plus a day, you know, they're away from their family. So how do you make them like it's a part of their family? And, you know, like you said, giving them the feeling that they are a part of something bigger than just getting their paycheck every two weeks or however often it is. You had mentioned that Mike teaches workshops on this. Is Are any of those online that he does? Um, it's mostly kind of on a contract basis. It, like he has taught them at some of the conferences, the ag conferences in Alberta. I've been able to see Mike speak at these conferences and the way that you run your farm is absolutely inspiring. And maybe by now just saying that it's online, maybe you should teach them online and you can help him with that with all of your online expertise. So <laughs> I will link all of the information for Steel Pony Farm in the show notes as well, as well as your amazing online yoga business. Because, you know, if farmer Mike can be at a backbending workshop for yoga, I think all farmers need to be taking some type of stretching because we all know that our bodies hurt at the end of the day. And for me, I know there's nothing better than kind of stretching that out and you can help with that. So <laughs> we definitely can. And that has been a big part of, of the process as well of like how we talk about regenerative practices for farming, but what about regenerative practices for farmers? <laughs> Absolutely. Taking care of your body is very important. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And taking care of your overall wellness, whether that's mental or physical or whatever it is. And for me, my yoga practice does help with that mental clarity and that mental stretching as well. So it has been so lovely getting to chat with you and to hear your story. And one of the biggest pivots I think I've interviewed here on the podcast from being an LA yogi to a vegetable farmer in Red Deer, Alberta. So, <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me and letting me share my story. My last question for you, Mackenzie, is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Oh, eating, eating the food I grow. <laughs> so it's so, as a I love cooking and as someone who now is involved in the whole process from planting the seed 
to cooking the food. It's so gratifying and I find it really gratifying. I always joke that my love language is food. And so I'm trying to constantly feed people and feed people with nutrient dense, delicious food. And if I can make people fall in love with their food from that end of the experience, they're more likely more likely to engage in the process of, of growing or at least buying local and supporting the, the small farms that are are doing the important work that is growing food that sustains us all. Those are all good things. Mackenzie, for the listeners who would like to connect with you online after the show, where can they find you? If you Google Mackenzie Yoga, you'll learn more about me than you ever wish you did. <laughs> uh, yeah, MackenzieYoga.com on Instagram and Facebook, Mackenzie Yoga, just Mackenzie Yoga everywhere. <laughs> and then of course, Steel Pony Farm. <laughs> and I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you and your yoga practices and the farm. Again, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Caitlin. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.